Disclaimer. The views, opinions and advice shared in the podcast by the participants are solely their own and do not reflect the views of any higher learning institution, governmental structure or organization they were previously or are currently associated with. Welcome to the Women in Law podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode four of the Women in Law podcast. I'm so happy that you're here and that you're listening to yet another episode. My name is Hilary Nkuna, your host, and we're going to go through another journey. Um, we're going to talk about the second pandemic that has fallen upon South African women, and that is gender-based violence. We're going to have a conversation today, so it's not a voice note for women, it's not just me hosting. So my guest, Otto Mashwabani, will be Basically, we'll be talking about what GBV entails and what our government is doing and what they can do. But without wasting any more of your time, let's get straight to it. Hi, Otra. Hello, Hilary, and good day to all your guests as well. Okay. So, um, we have a few questions for you. Uh, we would have went the route of asking another woman to do this interview but we're having a lot of conversations amongst women and it's it doesn't seem like it's doing much so we want to hear what other men think about what's happening in South Africa and what's happening with our government pertaining this particular thing because it seems like nothing is being done so um to start it all off could you define gender-based violence to us as well as like maybe give us an example of the form in which gender-based violence can manifest. And so to answer that question, I guess we must always be very conscious of the fact that it happens in very nuanced mannerisms and it it pertains to a lot of particular acts. It could range from mental, physical to sexual and to beyond that, then it would be threats of such actions Mm -hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. So I think it, 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 it emanates from a number of positions and it produces itself or reproduces itself in society in a number of ways. And so it could range from the common one, which is probably domestic abuse filled with um, sexual abuse mm. with rape and um, and sexual advances, et cetera, et cetera. But it could also range from mental abuse as to speaking down on someone or to say things that make the other person feel small or want to remain in the relationship which that they can't exist outside mm-hmm. of that scope of that relationship. So it, it, it permeates through these... I guess the patriarchal norms and, and the things that are, uh, have been socially accepted by society at large because and it's very important to note that it's society at large and not necessarily the minority of society mm. that is speaking out against this problem but I think that um, a lot of people have started engaging and have started speaking out and so I think the message is getting spread far through society and so and you did say that um, it, it happens the conversations mm. really happen mostly amongst women but I think that it also happens amongst men, but again, my opinions will be of, I guess, of, and I'll put that in italics, mm. of a conscious man, but um, we do have vast amounts of people in society today, which, and you, it's very rampant on Twitter, mm. you'll see that people are sharing opinions that are still inherently patriarchal, still deeply rooted in misogyny, and so I think the challenge is large, and that's what we're dealing in society today. Yeah, um, particularly now, during the lockdown period, reports of gender-based violence have 
being at the highest. I mean, there's calls basically every day from women who are suffering at the hands of their intimate partners, whether it's marital rape, um, incest in the homes between maybe the parent and the child, or, you know, the physical abuse side of things. And I just want to know, do you think that our government made plans for these things? Did they foresee that when they locked down the country, they're essentially making sure that the abusers are there full time to abuse their victims? Do you think that they thought it through or did they just wing it? I think that, um, and this is not to excuse government or anything like that. I think that at the time where this virus was starting to peak in South Africa, that all mm. they necessarily catered for was to keep people off the streets and stuff like that and mm. so forth and stuff like that. But now in mitigating these issues, because these, and so you see, issues like gender-based violence have been imminent in South Africa pre-2010. And so mm. what's happened is that it's lasted for longer than a decade, these cries and and, and the repeated um, rhetoric as to we need to do better and uh, also the statistics and your 16 days of activism in December and stuff. So that is what has it's been a norm, and so I, I refuse to believe that they weren't aware mm. that this could be a result, a resultant of what they're doing. Also, by locking down the country, that they keep the abusers at home, and that people and the perpetrators, well, the perpetrators at home, and that those who fall victim to that will be prone to much more abuse. So I, I don't want to say that they didn't cater for that, or at least they didn't mm. see it coming. But they didn't cater for it. Actually, that's what I wanted to say. They didn't. They foresaw it coming, but they didn't do anything to combat that. So I don't think that government responded thoroughly to the, the, the plight of women in South Africa by closing down the country and not having um, homes in which those who suffer domestic violence can run away mm-hmm. to or providing stru- um, structures in which they could report faster and, and the way that cases are dealt with is expedited because we must always be conscious of, of the fact that in a normal society you know, at least in a normal South African day so without COVID these reports would be th- would be made and mm. nothing would happen. And so it's bold of us to assume that they would want or they, they put measures in place for anything to happen during COVID, right? Because so the response of government towards these issues has been one that is very complacent and it's uh, one that um, is, it's linked around ele- electioneering. So what they mm. use it for is elections and stuff like that. And so they like this rhetoric because if they deal with the rhetoric, they won't have anything else to speak about in mm. the next election cycle. So it is sad that the the challenge or at least the struggle of women are falling on deaf ears. That is my opinion when it comes mm. to government because in insofar as you can provide a hotline, a hotline can only do so much because what happens after you've contacted the hotline, where, where are the places to go or, or to run away to? And I think it's always that they'll set these places up in areas in which maybe it's suburban. And so in other areas where domestic violence is also quite prevalent, which is your town to areas or your underdeveloped areas, they won't have stations there or they won't have places in which people can run away to. Or you'll go to the police station and you'll um, experience second victimization. And so I think the challenge that is um, is faced by women in society is threefold. It's not even mm-hmm. twofold. It's that you don't have anywhere to run to, um, that the people that you do look to aren't providing the answers and now you are stuck having to deal with your perpetrator and I think I think there is more that they can do mm. I think there should be more that they are doing but you see that um, you'll get uh, uh, ministers in the office of the presidency dealing with women and children 
won't really do anything. And your Minister of Social Development will barely speak on the issue. They'll highlight it when the whole country is up in mm. arms about it. But as soon as that wave is a little bit... People move on to the next yeah. and then they stop talking about it. And so I think that's very problematic. Again, it's that thing of politicizing, electioneering, the thing, trying to get mm. forward. Like so basically, the cries of women are politicized. Because yes. that's when political parties show up. I mean, they of go course. to funerals when on a normal day they wouldn't. They're speaking about it on their social media pages and, you know, causing an uprising. And it seems like they're supporting us. But then when it comes to policy making and them yes. sitting down about it in parliament nothing, nothing really happens can. yes and so that is where i was going to go that i was going to say that um the problem as much as yes we look to the saps as, mm. as a huge body or at least a huge contributor to the perpetuation of domestic violence but you see the pieces of legislation that are in place or at least the way that um bail applications are dealt with especially regarding um issues of such as sexual abuse in South Africa. i don't think the bail procedure caters to that so you would assume that in a country which is ranked as the rape capital uh, which has <clears throat> rape statistics or sexual abuse statistics which are five times the global rate right. then you would consider that in that country maybe that when you deal with issues like this that the bail wouldn't necessarily be granted or the standards for bail would be much harsher for the perpetrator or mm. at least the alleged perpetrator at that moment so that we rid society of the people who are in continuation of perpetuating these things of the vast um efforts or, 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 or concerted efforts in trying to deal and curb mm. the, the spread of gender-based violence. So essentially what I am saying is that it's not enough to talk about it. Um, I think, of course, our legislatures are supposed to sit and draft legislation and draft policy, well, the ministers must draft mm. policies that then are put in place from top down or in the instance in which they don't want to operate top down, then your your, your mayors and your ward councillors mm. should do things or, or host classes or anything, community engagements in which people in that community start engaging on these on these subjects and mm. so alerting the community at large that in the instance in which there is a perpetrator, you should report here. So, and it's also been the idea that the perpetrator perpetra uh, conducts his abuse here and then the person has to go uh, report the, the issue probably five, ten kilometers away. That is also another thing that is problematic in dealing with these issues because in, the ward council is here, mm. but the ward council does nothing. So again, it's that thing of it's politicized. You'll see now next year when uh, ward councils are running for their offices or the mayors are running for mm. office, what will happen is that they'll talk to people um, in, in, in the communities, but they'll then that's it for the next four years. So I think, of course, more needs to be demanded of government, more yeah. needs to be demanded of lower government. So I know people like to look at national level only, but it, more of local government as, as well. well. I think so. Accountability measures and accountability departments should be put in place. I think we need more of that. Yeah. Um. You mentioned something that, well, it's almost like an obvious stat that South Africa the rate right now of rape and sexual violence is currently five times higher than the world rate. Mm -hmm. Given that you think that the government would actually be doing much more than what they're doing, seeing that it's bad, it's literally terrible. And they're supposed to be doing this because it is also entrenched in our constitution and our bill of rights. Yeah. Um, in terms of they're supposed to give, make sure that everyone is equal. Mm -hmm. Everyone has um, security, there's freedom. Um, and that they would protect our right to life. 
That is not happening because every single one of those things is being violated right now um, through the acts of gender-based violence because people are losing their lives. Uh, You don't feel safe. You lack freedom of walking in the street as a woman Mm -hmm. after like 5 p.m. because anything after that, anything can happen to you. So do you think that our government, the government that was part of this process of creating the constitution is fulfilling the promises that they made when they were in the constitutional making process. So to answer that, I think that the irony rests in the idea that we will host the best constitution. So it is termed to be the best constitution Mm. in the world. But then I read in one of your pieces, you said that a woman in South Africa is in far more danger than a woman in a war-torn country. So Mm. I think what that represents is that the recognition of rights in, in in South Africa, at least the protection thereof, it's it's something that it's good to speak about, but it barely it, it barely happens. And so, because no structures are in place to ensure that um, these rights are not uh, violated, or at least they claim that the, the there are structures to deal with the violation of rights, but then the process in dealing with that is very slow. Mm. Uh, it's tedious. It could take five years. What you do get then is a production of which society becomes desolate because mm. then. Yes, you promised me my rights on paper, but I don't feel them as an individual. And so this stems, yes, in gender, gender-based violence, but it also stems on a wider platform. Um, and essentially, it targets your lower classes. And so mm. this is the, for me, this is the effect that we face on the basis of capitalism. I think this is a consequence thereof by applying a liberal capitalistic approach into dealing with a society where mm. you are a society that is deeply entrenched in inequalities etc so in coming back to the issue of violations and violations of constitutionally, constitutionally protected rights i think then it, it it shows or at least it permeates itself in the way that the government deals with the issues that concern those of um, minority groups mm. or are considered to be of low social standing and so in the latter what you will get is that you'll get why do you get white women you get black men and then you get black, black women so the people who suffer the most or are in the most imminent danger and this is not to disregard any other mm. of the parties that i've mentioned but you'll get that the black woman is in more danger, danger. so um again it's the thing of social crossing and social standing in society mm. and so until the, until the way that we, we deal with or at least the way we confront societies changed mm. or it's not from the capitalistic perspective or a perspective which limits the woman or or uh, silences the woman mm. rather, then I think we are still far away from achieving this con- this notion of protecting constitutionally entrenched rights. They are entrenched on paper, but, but aren't necessarily a lived reality. True. Um, I like how you touched on society because I think we've gone on to talk about what the government is supposed to be doing, what is currently the reality. I want to ask you, do you think that our communities are soft on perpetrators? Because, you know, on Twitter there was a a debate, if I can say, where someone said, Larry is the guy, he said that he's a reformed gender-based violence perpetrator. Obviously, women are upset over that because... First of all, you did not regard your victim or victims um, before you even decided to go live. And it seems to you that 
he just got a slap on the wrist and everyone else was welcoming to him, um, were congratulating him. And so I just want to know, do you think our communities and our society are easier on perpetrators than they are on victims? I think that um, the way that society confronts these issues, um, for me, one, if I speak about the Larry issue for a minute, I think that is a performative thing. Mm. So uh, I think what it does is that it, it opens society to the dangers of performative acts of people who are previous, per- and say previous, but are, mm. are previous uh, perpetrators, I guess, of, of gender-based violence. Now it opens a way for them to come back into society by claiming vindication and rehabilitation mm. to now want to be one of the people. And so I think that's the first problem that that performative act does. And that's the first threat that it poses to society. Second, to answering your question, do I think that society is soft on perpetrators? I think that it's the coming of the desolation in society in which there's not much hope that a perpetrator will be held to account mm. that has led us to the point that we are at now. So bare minimum activities like this, or I don't want to call it a bare minimum activity. It's, it, for me, it's inherently insensitive. Mm. I don't think it caters to the, the person. So it can't be bare minimum because it's wrong in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but I think that people have now come to terms, or, or and, and this is just the general populist have now come to terms with performative acts like this to want to then accept people into society when they have a claim to vindication. So I don't think people thoroughly understand the effects thereof, mm. or at least give themselves to time to learn and to, to, to see the effects thereof of, of gender-based violence on mm. the victim to then want to be the ones that are first in line to forgive. So I think I think um, if you are going to claim vindication, rehabilitation, that procedures should be in place in which you apologize to the other person and, and, and the person that oh you, you victimized should they be open mm. to talking to you but i also think that people should be punished through the justice system but you you see that you won't get that because the justice system the way in which it is designed or at least the way the the, the people who are supposed to enforce the rules and and, and, and ensure justice mm. are not doing their job so this is what creates the the window of opportunity for people like larry mm. to now want to do this and, 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 and throw these performative acts out into society. It's highly insensitive. And I don't think that society is sensitive enough. Mm. I, so I don't want to say they're soft, but I don't think they're sensitive enough to the plight of women because what you'll get is that men in society will be the ones that are perpetuating these, these acts. And it will be those that are also perpetrators mm. who will also be uh, claiming and, and and congratulating such rehabilitation because the guilt, I guess, is overwhelming to them as well. Yeah. But also, it comes back to why then some women also very accepting of this. And those, those are questions that we have to ask. And I think that it is the way that society mm. has continuously spread um, these uh, pervasive notions and and has led a large populace to believe that that is what they should be accepting, mm. that these are part and parcel of daily life, and it isn't, and it shouldn't be part and parcel of daily life. And so it, this is what I mean when I say it starts with community engagement, people coming together and learning what they know and learning new ways so that they too, the victims, mm. can see what is happening before it's too late, before it gets to being beaten up, before it gets to... Um, being raped, they can yeah. see the mental part of, and the manipulation thereof, and they can pick up on the actions of the mm. of their partners because 
it doesn't have to be a stranger. In most instances, it's not. Yeah. Um, there's this thing that always goes around Twitter whenever we mention gender-based violence. And it's, as gentlemen, we have to do better for our women. Um, I feel like when people come with the stance of we need to do better for our women, uh-huh. you're reinstating the position that we're trying to take away from you. Of course. And this notion of do better is just repetitive and it's there all the time. So what do you think that, how do you think men can play a role in the removal of gender-based violence, for lacking a better word? Um, What do you think, how, what role can they play? I suppose my answer won't cater to the entirety of what mm. is, is entirely possible from men to assist women, assist in combating gender-based violence. But I, I, I do think that, um, and, and, and so everyone will obviously relate to this one, it's in, just in the conversations that mm. you have with the people that you surround yourself with. I think in conversations, even the conversations that are uncomfortable in which maybe one person says something that is inherently patriarchal mm. or is... Um, perpetuating of gender of, of, of the norms that are we are trying to get rid of in society then I think that it's it's a time to have those uncomfortable conversations um, but beyond uncomfortable uh, conversations it's about creating a safe space out there so in instances in which someone is walking down i.e a woman is walking down the road and you can see that she's well she's uneasy mm. uneasy about you coming in the direction then you should probably cross or create an environment in which she won't be safe because she's not mm. feeling safe she's feeling highly alarmed but at that instance in which if you are the person that's making her feel unsafe that you should um provide or, or give room for to, some for sort her. of relief yes and yeah. i think also of course then with your woman friends as a guy then you should go out with them probably at night if they want to go get something just to be that extra support or extra sense of um uh, I'll use support because you really can't protect mm. someone um, because the perpetrators won't stop at the sight of a man mm. but they might be inconvenienced in the presence of a man and so those are I guess the little things that people can do but again for me this is for me the solution starts from an institutional base in which it is community engagement you're fixing the communal opinion on these mm. uh, and, and 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 it should be that the community is drawn to these conversations. It's not enough to just have a town hall in which it's five people. It should, mm. There should be enticing efforts to make sure that the community is engaged and they want to unlearn and stuff like that. And so, because you will get that it's the, it's in the households, but it's also in the communities in which people stay in which these patriarchal notions continue to manifest themselves or, or perpetuate and it's also a very young age. Mm. Um it's also a very young age it, it, it manifests itself in like the ideals of Ukshela and those things. And so I think there's a lot of work to be done in communities, in changing the communal opinion as to this is what is socially acceptable. Mm. So people I think it's changing the social mores of what people as a society agree to is what for me, would be the first way that you, or at least the first wave in combating gender-based violence. But the little things, I guess, of just going out of your way to accompany someone, having the hard conversations, and Mm. I guess also making sure that people, especially women, don't feel 
an easy around you then i think those are the little things that people can do i guess in doing their bit and trying to curb the spread of gender-based violence okay thank you so much for the conversation um i think we've covered quite a lot and obviously we're not gonna talk to the core of gender-based violence that's a conversation that continuously needs to be had um but thank you for joining us and i really hope that you enjoyed today's episode and that you'll stay for more and more as we tackle more and more social issues but for now i'll see you in the next episode so stay home stay safe and please remember to wash those hands